First of all, I'm the husband of Lady Lisa Jones. We were married. This, uh, we've been together 36 years. I met her in 1988. Uh, and we've been married for 33 years. Um, I'm a father and now a grandfather. And uh, a papa, yeah. And uh, of course, I pastor Manifestation Worldwide in Tampa, Florida. So just glad to be here and hope we can add value to the process of relationship for y'all. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm super excited. I know they are so ready to get into these questions uh, because I have a lot of questions here. But the first thing I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about definitions, like defining what love really is, the difference between love, <laughs> love and lust. Because sometimes those things, we interchange them, but they're not interchangeable, right? No, they're not interchangeable. You know, really, love comes down to uh, being willing and having the capacity to give yourself to another person. It really is about offering yes. your best self to the benefit of another one. Wow. And then what is lust? Lust is all about desire. It's all about what, really what you can get out of a person. Mm -hmm. It's very, you know, temporal. It's not something that's lasting. It's fleeting. It's just fire, but it's not passion. It's not desire, there's no longevity to it, it's just now. So a lot of these things that we're calling love is not really love, it's actually lust. It's actually lust. Yeah, love really is about, as I said, it's about the capacity to and willingness to give your best self to the benefit of another person. That's really what wow. love is about. You think about it, if, if you have two people that are offering their best self to each other, then relationships don't like anything. So. Is it true that people can fall in and out of love? Well, love is it's not about falling in and out of love. Okay, uh -huh. first of all, we you, all relationships of a romantic nature start with infatuation, yeah. right? That's when all the juices and all all the right. you know the fires burning yeah. and the juices are flowing <laughs> and all of that. But really, the the decision to love and especially covenant love is far beyond that. It, love is more of a choice that you keep making to offer yourself to that person. So it's, it's not about you, how you feel, it's about what you chose. Wow. 
That's good. So love is really about choosing to give yourself to someone. And when you give yourself to someone, it's not about taking or what you get. It's unconditional. Right. Well, like, for example, people say after a few years of marriage, I, I love my spouse, but I'm not in love. And I always say that you you will you will feel love as long as you do love because your feelings follow your choices. So I have to keep offering myself to my wife every season, every year. You know, we've been together since we were teenagers. Literally, she was just coming out of puberty, and now we're in menopause and andropause. So we have spent five, almost what, our teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s now together. So I just got to keep, and we have to keep doing love. Love is about the choice to keep offering yourself to another person. And that is in spite of the other person offering themselves, because sometimes we have relationships where we feel like we're giving more than the other person is giving. So is that in spite of that person giving? Yeah, I'm not concerned about what my wife gives me. I'm concerned about what I give her. Wow. See, my, my, my wife is a chosen beneficiary of a divine relationship. Wow. So really, it's about, I know what God expects of me. So my, my love for her is really between me and my God. She's a beneficiary of a divine relationship. Wow, that's good. So the beneficiary of a divine relationship. So that means that you have to have a divine relationship in order to give love that way unconditionally. Yep. That's, the, that's the only way to give it authentically. That's the only way to give it with a covenant orientation. See, today people in a relationship based on convenience. And then they end relationships based on inconvenience. When I, entered, when I entered into marriage, I entered into a covenant relationship. So I chose that she would be the object of my love throughout the, the changing dynamics of our lives, through the seasons of our lives, she's the chosen beneficiary of my love. Wow, so that's good. The reason I say that is because I know we have questions here, but this is a question that I've been waiting to ask because this is something that I've noticed. So if you have to have a divine relationship mm -hmm. in order to understand how to give unconditional love, why is it that women in the church are going outside the church to find love? Well, because uh, just because somebody's in the church uh -huh. doesn't necessarily mean, number one, that they really have a good sense of fellowship with God. It's different between having a relationship with God and having fellowship with God. Because mm -hmm. when you're in fellowship with God, you're more in tune and you're more discerning of what it is that's going on around you. Uh -huh. So there are a lot of people in relationship with God that don't have fellowship with the Spirit, so they date without discernment. Wow. And when you date without discernment, then you date with your feelings. That's good. Explain discernment. The, the, in, that, in, that inner knowing. Mm -hmm. It's an intuitiveness about things. The ability to distinguish between good and bad, right and wrong. See, that's what discernment really is, is, really is all about. Okay. So when you discern that this person has red flags, mm -hmm. right? Because we oftentimes overlook those red flags. What are those red flags that we should not be overlooking in relationships? Yeah, number one, unequal yoking. That, that's number one because ultimately, you know, if we're believers, we're expected to grow in our faith. Mm -hmm. We're going to be more devoted to Christ. Mm -hmm. We're going to be more committed to the things of God. Mm -hmm. We're going to be extra. And so if you connect with someone that's not, that's not they're not on that frequency, mm -hmm. you know, and they're, they're really not looking to be all in for God that way, that's the number one red flag is that they're spiritually unequal yoking. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Equal yoking is more than just spiritually equal, mm -hmm. equal yoking. Mm -hmm. For example, you may have someone that feels like, I feel like God called me to be a missionary to China, mm -hmm. right? And so you got, a, 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 let's say you got a guy that feels like he's supposed to be a missionary to China, uh -huh. but the, the, the lady's a home, a home girl. She's like, I'm not going to China, <laughs> right? My name ain't Ming Ling. And so that's not equal yoking because their trajectories and destinies and how they see living their lives are not on the same page. So they may be both believers, but that's not equal yoking because their ideals about how they want to spend their life don't sync up. Gotcha. So where does yoking stop? So meaning that is that financially yoking? Is that educational yoking? Or it can does it go into those lines? Like I have... I have a, you know, PhD and you have a high school diploma. Like where does equal what does equal yoking stop? That has about? nothing to do with it. Okay. Because I make more money out of my gifts than people make out of their degrees. Oh, that's good. Woo! Come on now. Just that. So that's good. So then my next question becomes, so if equal yoking is one of the first red flags that we look for, then why is it that and I find this more so with women, it could be because I talk to women mm -hmm. more. But with women, we tend to uh, think that we can pull them up to that equality. Like, like, we may notice that red flag, and we may notice that they're not there spiritually and what have you, but maybe, you know, we can pull them up to where we are. How I, dangerous is that? I don't believe that's wise. <laughs> I, you know, I honestly tell women that you should only, when you start interacting with a guy, you should only date and seriously consider marriage with someone who makes you want to be better. Because remember, if you're going to trust that God is leading us through him, he has to be somebody that at least got it together, have a sense of direction. They have to have standards that they live by. They got clear boundaries that you didn't give them. They've got vision. So, no, so don't take on anybody as a project to see if you're able to pull them up. That's good because we have a habit of, uh, let's build a man. There's this phenomenon. Let's build a man, or let's. Okay, so there's this phenomenon. Let's let's build a man, and then there is build with a man, right? Is it possible that you can build with him? Like he may not be where you want him to be, but you feel like you can build with him. Certainly. You know, I've I've bought a number of cars before I stopped working on cars, mm -hmm. and I always bought them based on the engine. Mm -hmm. I bought them. It didn't matter how they look. I bought them based on, is it a solid engine? And if the engine is solid, then I could do the cosmetics. And so really you're able to ascertain from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh -huh. So if you let a man talk enough, you'll know whether he's solid or, or hollow. Yes. You, you'll know very quickly. And if, when you got someone that has depth, that person you can build with. That's good. So what does a solid man look like? Well, well number one, I mean, he has a real good sense of his own self. Mm -hmm. You know, it's somebody that's just, they, they're, they, they have a certain gravitas about them that, that I'm not intimidated by anyone else's success or, you know, maybe a woman comes in and she has a, a, a degree or she has more, mm -hmm. you know, she's making a lot of money. He's not intimidated by anything like that because they have a good sense of their own self. Mm -hmm. um, they got standards, standards that are non-negotiable. As I said earlier, they got a sense of direction. They're not looking for you to give them direction. They really are, you know, people that have a character, integrity, you know, really solid in their inner being. Oh, that's good. My goodness. So then a lot of times 
we get in relationships and those relationships are unequally yoked because we did not use our discernment, mm-hmm. right, to determine that whether or not this was a solid guy. So now we're in the midst of this relationship. Mm-hmm. Question is, and I asked this question earlier, we were talking about this. When do you know to get out? I, most times, you almost know immediately to get out. Yeah. It's just people wait around to see if some of my finer qualities are going to run off, rub off on them. They wait around to see if I could be nice enough to change a fool. You know, I mean, sadly, people, you know, they, as we talk about in the book, mm-hmm. they bring sexuality into the equation. And once you get a soul tie, your discernment goes right out the window. You know, once you start receiving goods and services, then it, it doesn't matter that they're failing along all the other lines. Doesn't matter. See, until it matters. That's See? Good. Until it matters. It doesn't matter until it matters. Uh huh. That means when now it's affecting you emotionally, physically, spiritually, mm-hmm. it's, it's affecting you as a whole person. Now it matters that this was not a solid person. You cannot date a person for a month having regular conversations and interaction with them and not see where they are. So a month. You'll know. You'll already know. Anything after that is hope. I hope that I can. (laughs) Right, right. I hope that I can rub off on them and make them better. That (laughs) Frankenman trying to to put something together. Oh, my goodness. Lord, we're in trouble, ladies. We're in trouble. (laughs) Okay, so now once we're in this relationship and, well, no, I have another question. All right. There's a difference. Is there a difference between relationship when you're dating versus relationship when you're married? Because when you're dating, you still have options. You can opt mm-hmm. out. What about marriage? Uh, Once you're already married, married person. But when you're dating, you can opt out of the relationship. Right. You can still get out. But when you're married and you've made a covenant commitment, is it as easy like, okay, well, yeah, I, my discernment was behind, so yeah. Oh, I get you. Yeah, no, if your discernment kicks on after you're married, too bad. You, you're, you're married. You may, you may, you're entered into a covenant relationship before God, and according to Corinthians, you marry somebody and they're an unbeliever, and the Bible's like, too bad, deal with it. Now you've now you got to learn how to live with what you chose. Now, again, they, the problem with a lot of people, they date like they're married. They make they make they make they make they make decisions and then oh I got to check with my boo that ain't your husband no no you don't need to check with your boo and you don't need to call every day and you don't have to answer your phone every time it rings matter of fact I recommend that you ignore them to see how they respond to you ignoring them. So now, so what we're doing is we're giving wife privileges to a boyfriend. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, or, and wife accountability to a boyfriend. You do not have to be accountable to a boyfriend the way you are accountable to a husband. Not at all. Wow, 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 wow. So, <laughs> that dating pool is going. <laughs> so, to the woman who feels like, She's in a relationship with someone. Wait, I have two questions. I'm going to hold off on that question. Let me go back. So, 
At what time in a marriage is it okay to opt out? At what time do you opt out? There are certain situations that mm -hmm. do occur in marriage um, because I don't want women to feel stuck in, mm -hmm. in, in um, situations and relationships because they're married and they're being misused, abused, you know, that mm -hmm. type of situation. You know, I always tell people, marriage is between two people that want to be married. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. So it, from a biblical standpoint, there seems to be three directives in which a person can say that's it. Mm -hmm. Number one, we already know, adultery. If a person decides they want someone other than you sexually, you don't have to stay in that relationship. Mm -hmm. God, the Bible says the believer is not bound under such circumstances. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to stay in that relationship. If a person decides they want somebody else, let them have them. Simple as that. Um, secondly, in cases of abandonment, the Bible says if the unbeliever depart, let them depart. A believer is not bound under such circumstances. Well, what bound you to the marriage or what bound you to the person is the marriage. Mm -hmm. So if a person abandons you, you don't have to stay in that relationship, okay? And so where there's uh, adultery, where there's abandonment, and where there's abuse. Mm -hmm. If someone is physically abusing you, right? And I'm gonna stick with physically, because some people get, get in a disagreement and they think they're being emotionally <laughs> abused. All because somebody don't agree with everything they say, they think they're being emotionally abused. So I'm going to stick with the extreme, which is physical abuse. Mm -hmm. You're not bound to remain in a relationship where someone's beating you. So ab abuse, adultery, and abandonment are kill switches potentially to end a relationship. I can understand that. I can comprehend that. Do you have a question? What does abandonment look like? What, is the, what, is that, what does that look like, like abandonment? What do you mean about You in abandonment? Florida and he in California. I mean, he's choosing no longer to live under the same roof with you. That's abandonment. He's not, a husband is supposed to provide for his wife and his family. So if he's choosing, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to carry out my marital duty. I don't want that union. You're not bound under those circumstances. That is abandonment. Okay. What if they're in Wesley Chapel and you're in Tampa? <laughs> it is not good that a man should be alone. Amen. God did not marry you to not be with your spouse. So if and, and there is no working on our marriage with that much space in between us. That you don't separate to work on marriages. You go to counseling to work on marriages. So so again, if a person has made it clear, I always tell people, if somebody made it clear they don't want you, believe them. <coughs> because the only thing left now is abuse. Okay, so now we're in a relationship and um, we didn't use our discernment mm -hmm. prior to getting this relationship and so now um, these things are happening and our hearts have been broken, mm -hmm. right? So question is, what is an indication that you should, well, first of, how do you heal from a broken heart? Well, number one, you, if you can't, if you don't feel, you can't heal. Mm. So there is a time when you have to sit in the pain and you got to acknowledge it and you got to recognize what it has done to you. And you really got to be in touch with the damage in order to start doing the work of restoration. So we, a lot of people, they don't, they don't sit in the pain. They run right to another relationship. Right. See, and they don't sit there and go, wait a minute, let me assess and see. We got to do a damage assessment. Mm -hmm. Really see what happened to me as a result of this, uh, this uh, 
uh, this relationship mm -hmm. that went south or whatever it may be. So if you don't feel, you can't heal. Now, secondly, right, it's important to remember, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. Mm -hmm. He said, he restored my soul. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about damage, where's the damage? In the soul. Right. Many people, God told you he would restore your soul, and we never asked him to. Mm -hmm. So you ask God in prayer and seeking to restore your soul. Mm -hmm. Now, the third thing is this, right? People say, I'm working on myself, right? And I ask, with what? <laughs> so you, you have to bring tools that are meant for emotional rest, restoration and renewal. You got to bring tools in the form of books and, you know, and counseling and mentorship, you know, therapy. You got to actually bring the tools to the table so that you can recover yourself from the things that have transpired in these past relationships. You know, if you don't heal and if you don't recover yourself, then whatever you do, if you continue to date that way, mm -hmm. if you date in impairment, you will fall into ensnarement. Mm -hmm. Come on now. Oh, if you date in impairment, you will fall into ensnarement. Mm -hmm. That's good. you're vulnerable. You're, That's if you're good. bleeding, if you're bleeding, only predators go for blood. Right, because they never reclaimed themselves from any one of the relationships that they got. They never reclaimed themselves. They never went through a process of restoration. They never asked God to restore their soul. They never sat with themselves. They, again, they never sat with themselves enough in the pain to do a real damage assessment to see what did this really do to me, so I can undo what has been done, so that I can offer a whole self to this forthcoming season of my life. Important to heal from the relationship. We always say that if you don't heal from what they did to you, then you'll bleed on people who never did it to you. Mm -hmm. So, um, next question is what are the indicators that you've been healed? How do you know when you've been healed? It doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. it, it's sort of like a wound, right? You may have a scar, but it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. There's no pain whatsoever involved when things get touched. Like if, you, if people are still talking about, Oh, that triggered me. Well, you're not healed. Mm -hmm. See, if you can easily be triggered by every little thing, you shouldn't be dating. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Take time to address the root of what's triggering you at all these levels. See, if it still hurts, if it still causes pain, if you're still crying, you're not healed. So that means we need to be consciously aware of where we are because sometimes we're in denial. Yes. So a lot of times we're in denial about where we are because we want to believe that that's where we are, but it's not true. So in order to heal completely, you have to be consciously aware of where you are. Another indicator of an unhealed soul is desperation. Ooh, thirsty. Yeah, I, I've got to get something to solve what I never solved. Ooh. Wow, that's good. That's good. Okay. Well, somebody said, I guess that's the answer. What are the indicators you should not be dating? Yeah, I, well, I'm going to give you two more. So number one, if you, <laughs> I'm going to give you three. Number one, if, if, if you don't have a great relationship with yourself, don't try to create one with other people. It won't work. If you stand in the mirror talking about how ugly you are, other people don't stand a chance with you. Wow. So you got to love yourself. Number one, you got to make sure that you fully love and appreciate 
who you are, where you are, on the way to where you're going. Wow. Right? So that's number one. Secondly, if you don't have a good sense of your identity, mm -hmm. who am I? Okay? Who am I? Because if you don't know who you are, then you morph into what other people got going on. Now you robbing banks because you, you dating a bank robber. So now you, come on, drive, girl. And so now you, it's lack of identity. So you morph into whatever they want you to be. And then thirdly, you got to know your value. What is my worth? What is my worth? My worth is not defined by who I'm with. So if you think your value is added to by another individual, you don't know your worth. I call that, I'm talking about this Sunday, that's the artificial self. Oh. Yeah. So I'm, AI. I'm yeah. Yeah, I got three selves I'm talking about on Sunday. The artificial self, the augmented self, and the authentic self. Wow. And the artificial self is the one man made. <laughs> it is me being what men want me to be, and it never was me. I'm talking about that Sunday, as a matter of fact. Okay, what's the hardest part about sustaining a relationship or marriage? Dying to yourself. Simple as that. The only way, you know, the only way you can stay in a covenant relationship. See, I love my wife, uh -huh. but I am, I am in love with my wife. Uh -huh. I love my wife deeply from the heart, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. For one reason, God is love. Simple as that. God is love, and I'm God's child, mm -hmm. right? So to keep loving is to keep dying to yourself. Simple as that. The hardest thing is dying to yourself. Simple as that. Because up close personal relationship exposes all your weaknesses. It brings everything to the surface. So we, our last week, we had a conversation about just dying to oneself. Mm -hmm. And so I think people get afraid when they hear dying to self because it makes it seem like when you think of death, you think of something that's gruesome. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you get in relationships, people don't think that dying and relationship should be associated with each other. So what does death to self look like? Well, it means that we are basically selfish, and marriage will reveal that, <laughs> and we have to get over that, right? Love is putting the other person first. Mm -hmm. Selfishness is putting me before anyone else. You know, I always tell people, this is how you get what you want from your spouse. Very simple. When you give what you should, you'll get what you want. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. When you give what you should. You'll, you'll get, get what you want. want. Exactly. So that puts the emphasis on two givers. Yeah, right. See, one taker strains the relationship. Mm -hmm. Two takers ends the relationship. So if you're going to love and marry and love for a long time, mm -hmm. you got to have two givers. you got to have yeah. two givers. So what if you're in a relationship and you have one giver and one taker? Mm -hmm. That giver is going to wear it. Does that giver ever get tired or wear out? And no longer wants to give anymore. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so what does she do with yeah. that? Well, you assume it's she. Oh. Oh. Okay, well. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Pastor Jay. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Thank you,
Well, orientation matters. Uh -huh. I, I would rather die the giver than to live in selfishness. So it really is about, I'm talking about in the Christian context, yeah, right? Yeah. I never forget in the early 90s, uh, I would come home from work and my wife was a homemaker mm -hmm. and she had the babies and nothing was done. So I'm working all day, I come home and sink full of dirty dishes and nothing got done and I'm mad. I'm slamming cabinets, right? <laughs> and I never forget one day I, I went to do that, right? Do the dishes and slam God said, don't slam the cabinets. He said, why don't you just become the greatest servant in your home? So I decided to do the dishes and on my way up, throw the clothes in the laundry and take my shower and not be mad about serving. And it was only then that God started touching her heart about what she needed to do. You can't take love. You can't take respect. You can't take anything. You have to offer what it takes to reap it. So ultimately, the person that's giving, you got to believe you're going to reap what you sow. That takes some long suffering sometimes, some patience, some fruit of the spirit. Very good word. <laughs> you, you hit it right on the head. See, and I'm glad you mentioned long suffering because, mm -hmm. as you know, I've taught about the difference between patience and long suffering. Uh -huh. So patience is me, is between me and God. Mm -hmm. It's two ways, mm -hmm. right? It's me coming to trust God with my process. Mm -hmm. Patience has nothing to do with anyone else. Mm -hmm. Long suffering always involves another party because yeah. mm -hmm. long suffering means... I see where God has taken you. Mm -hmm. So here is how I need to be so that how I am doesn't interfere with what God is doing in your life. Yeah. That's long-suffering. Yeah. So because God has taken you here, I need to be this way to accommodate what God is doing in your life. Long-suffering is the fruit of accommodation. Yeah. Wow, wow. So it is possible that you can interfere with the process that God has in somebody's life by being... Um, by being, I don't want to say impatient, but mm -hmm. um, forcing them to, to get somewhere too soon. Absolutely, because you may be working on something God's not. Mm -hmm. Right. My and God. if you, you got your own little agenda <laughs> about where they should be and what they should have, and God's like, I'm not concerned about that right now. Wow. So it's best to pray and go, God, what are you up to in my spouse's life? Uh, and he'll yeah. show you so you can be accommodating to what he's doing. I never forget going through certain things with my wife when she was processing trauma. You know, my wife, as you know, mm -hmm. she was sexually abused as a child. So my, so our marriage became a safe place for her to heal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I remember she was processing all that, and I'm there. So you know who you're going to take it out on? The one who's there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I went to God. I'm like, God, she's malfunctioning. What's wrong with this, right? Because <laughs> what I'm doing don't match how she responded. And God began to show me. It's, it's not you, it's this, it's that. Mm -hmm. So then I would come to her and say, listen, this is what God said. God told me this. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, no, you've been arguing. Right? But realistically, I went to God. God showed me what it was, and now I could be accommodating to what he's doing mm -hmm. and make sure I'm not more of what injured her. Yeah. That's good. So that takes a type of unselfishness to really, really desire to know what is going on with your spouse so that you can become their intercessor through their process. Especially when it involves sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. My wife was molested from four years old to 15. Mm -hmm. I met her at 16. Mm -hmm. 
So for most of her childhood, she was in an abusive type dynamic, uh, dynamic, being molested, and it was part of the family history and part of the family norm. So, uh, so understanding her childhood and understanding what God was working on in certain segments of our life was vital for me to aid in her deliverance. Give an example. So any woman, a lot of times, any, my wife, I don't know any woman, but my wife, I remember when she was really processing the whole sexual trauma, mm -hmm. right? Well, she got in this thing, oh, well, sex is gross. And I'm like, no, it ain't. <laughs> and she's like, no. I'm like, no what? No, no, not at all, right? And I go to God, he's like, leave her alone. Like, leave her alone. She'll, she'll come to you when she's ready. And I came to understand this is what it was all about. When you have had your body taken from you in the middle of the night by your grandfather, when you wake up to find people on top of you, right, and sex is always, the connotation is always something taken from you. Well, in order to freely offer it to the person you should, your spouse, you got to first recover it. You got to get it back under your control. So you can offer it under your control. Yeah, that's right. And that's what that process is all about. Well, a lot of times what men do, I'm a man. You know, a man got to have what a man got to have. Oh, right, this ain't fair and it ain't right. Stupid. Just non-discerning, won't ask God what's going on. Knee-jerk reaction is to put out the chest and go, if you don't do it, somebody will. You know, all this other kind of stuff. And not really understand what God is up to. So you can't be long-suffering. You can't be accommodating to what God is working on. So for us, that's what happened. I had intel. So now I just became a worshiper. Like, she don't want me, God always does. Ooh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, so when you were talking earlier, you were talking a little bit about communication, like, uh, because we communicate in different ways, mm -hmm. right? But uh, the question is, how do you talk to someone who doesn't want to talk? How do you communicate? How do you communicate with a non-communicator? Well, especially when, when communication is an important part of a relationship. Yeah. Well, I guarantee you, in most cases, if a person is dealing with someone who don't want to talk, and we're talking a spouse, uh -huh. they're dealing with a spouse that don't want to talk, right? Mm -hmm. First, you got to step back and look at: Does he talk to anybody? <laughs> okay. The, you just got to, it's anthropology. Study the creature in their own environment, right? Mm -hmm. So who does he talk to? Oh, his sister. Mm -hmm. Well, how does she talk to him? Mm -hmm. Listen to the conversation, mm -hmm. right? The, all you got to do is listen to the conversation. If he talks to anyone but don't talk to you, then it's something about you that makes you not be the one he wants to talk to. Wait. Yes. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. Don't protest, don't protest yet. I'll see you next week in the office with your husband. Right. If you're asking, I'm gonna tell you, there's a very good reason this guy talks to certain people, but don't talk to the person he should. And a lot of times it comes down to how they talk to him. All right, I'm going to give an example. I'm going to give an example. Okay? Two, I'm going to give you two words, right? There are two ways to approach someone, right? 
and I'm let's say it's I'm gonna let's pretend someone's approaching you. Uh -huh. I'm gonna approach you, and I'm gonna make it clear I resent you as I approach you. Okay. How you gonna respond? Now I'm making it clear I resent you. You gotta respond like why are you talking to me? Exactly. See your attitude? Why are you talking to her? <laughs> now, now I'm gonna approach you. And oh my God, you are someone I really respect. I see you all on on the Tiana's tea, and what a blessing you are. And oh my God, I got so much encouragement out of that last conference. Now how are you gonna engage? Ah yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> you see how a smile? See right there? It was lighter. It was, it was lighter. lighter. Right. Okay, but all right. So I have another question about because okay, what if what if the other person? What if the conversations they have with other people are just not deep conversations? What if they're just conversations that just, they're like fluffy conversations? Like, you know, oh, you're so great. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're so smart. But at home, your spouse is like, oh, you're so mean. Mm -hmm. So what about that? Well, it starts there. It yeah. starts, you always get more of what you celebrate. I'm going to go back to what I just said a moment ago. When I asked you, I asked you, if you knew I resented you, and now I want to talk to you, it showed all up on your face. Your whole body language changed. And it ain't even true, and your body language changed. But when I start, oh my God, you, you know, you're, right? I start uh, showing respect for you. Your body language changed. See, you didn't see you, I saw you, right? So you don't see you. You don't see you. All you know, all you know is what you what you want. We got to deal with something, but you don't see you, and you don't know the effect of you on someone else. And a lot of times, what happens? The longer you're married, the less you care about how you're affecting them. Correct. See, and that right, and, and that starts the demise of relationship. The moment you no longer care about how. The way you are is affecting someone else. That starts the demise of relationship. So what if you didn't start out like that? Like, what if you started out like, you know, loving, caring, you know, you know, very affectionate? What if you started out that way, but the spouse in their behaviors, you know, kept etching away, etching away, etching away, so now you're no longer like that, and so now they blame you for being what they created. So they changed you. I know that's not good. I know, I know, I know. That's not, you're not supposed to let people change you. But For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We are supposed to be being changed into the image and likeness of Christ. So the only one supposed to be changing us is the Holy Spirit. See, understand this. This is what I am. My wife does not get to alter this. This is between me and God. Orientation matters, okay? Or when it's, this is between, the person I should be is between me and, me and God. My wife is the beneficiary that was chosen humanly. She is the human beneficiary of a divine relationship. I just said to you earlier, I don't care what she does. I care what I do. Does that make sense? Yes. That's very beautiful. <laughs> Y'all already know this is going to be a meeting. This is going to be a meeting in my office. She going to drag her husband in my office next week.
your hands up. Oh, I'm skipping this. <laughs> is it bad to give your partner the silent treatment after an argument? Mm -hmm. Is it working for you? You know, I'm going to tell you, uh, my wife is an extrovert, as you know. I am an introvert, right? I love silence. Absolutely love it. I thrive in it. I can think. I can feel. I can plan. I can strategize. I can process. I can pray. So my wife used to try the silent treatment on, on me, right? And I look at her and go, now you know that's hurting you more than it's hurting me. <laughs> like, why don't you just say whatever you got to say? So it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And realistically, if we're giving someone a silent treatment, right, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're trying to deprive them of something that right. we know the relationship needs. Right. Right? How's that, how's that working in God's interest? That's very true. You hear that, men? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, no, that's serious. Because a lot of times we talk about women who deprive their husbands right. from sexual relationships, you know, when they're upset. But men deprive women of conversation when they know we need to talk. They, when do. You, they know that we need, we need conversation. Yes. So y'all are just as wrong. That's true. You had to get that in, didn't you? <laughs> she, had to, she had to balance this out. You heard that right, Ron. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you, honey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as a general rule, we should never willingly deprive the relationship of what it needs to thrive. That's right. As a general rule. That's right, because it's supposed to be a giver. Exactly. There you, go. you get what you want when you get what you should. Yeah. Now let me let me also let's talk about this right just yes. words and women and men right yes. now I remember telling my wife one time because y'all have way more words than we do and I remember telling my wife one time listen I have said all I can say about this call one call Tiana or one of them and call your girlfriend now I'm done with this I ain't got nothing else. I have no more words Oh my God. So, so you got to understand, y'all use way more words than a man is going to use about anything. And that's just male, female. But sometimes we don't need your words, we just need you to hear our words. Oh, that's fine. As long as we don't need your words. Right. Let it become a conversation. My wife, when we were dating as kids, my wife swore that we, you know, because we would, we would talk all night long, right? Exactly. No, she talked all night long. <laughs> I listened all night long, and the way I knew the conversation was over was when she was snoring on the other end of the phone. <laughs> Nothing has changed. It's just, it all seems wonderful until you realize you can't change it. Mm. That's good. That's true. Sometimes we forget, but yeah. Those conversations that you used to be on the phone with, it didn't seem like a listening situation. Yeah. It seemed like y'all were talking. We weren't. <laughs> we, we were just responding. And then remember this also, like I tell my wife, I ask my wife a question, right? I want an answer. She wants to give me a story. Yes. Are y'all going to deprive us of that? I don't want a story. Oh, I want an answer, right? So what I normally do is listen to her whole story, and then I ask her, so what is the answer? Right. 
Because normally she gives me the story and doesn't give me the answer, so I have to ask her for the answer at the end of her story. But you do listen to the story. Certainly. I've been married long enough to know listening to the story secures me tonight. <laughs> you hear that? Listen to the story, no matter how many words it has. So it's not nice to cut people off in the middle of their story because they're giving too many details, right? Right. Okay. Next. Oh, how do you know you met the right person? You are the right person. Oh, yes. one, of, one of the chapters in my book is, Am I Mrs. Wright? Because so many times we focus on finding Mr. Wright or finding Mrs. Wright, but are you right? Because right attracts right. Okay, you just said something finding. Let's stay there for a second. Okay, so we see this trend now where women are asking men to marry them, and I know like a lot of women are going to be like, oh, no, that's not me. I would never ask a man to marry me. But we stay in relationships for 10 years, three kids, a house and a car later, unmarried because we're waiting for that question. So let's talk about this. Why is it wrong or not okay for a woman to ask a man for marriage? So let's back up. So number one, all right, uh, I'm, I'm very happily married, all right, as you know, 30, uh -huh. 33 years deep in this mug. Yes, yes, yes. If I were not married today, it would not take me long to be married. Here's why. I know who I am. I know what I want. So it's important to understand that it does not take a husband long to find a wife. Because husband is not just a marital status. It is a capacity that a man, it's a phase that a man has shifted into when he's ready to create a family. Okay? There are people that date men that aren't husbands. They're not, they're not in that stage. They're toying with you. They wow. know they're not going to marry anybody. Mm. You are one of. Mm. So they already know they're not going to. It does not take a man. It does not. In the first six to nine months, a man knows whether you are his wife or not. Wow. It does not take a man, a husband, long to find a wife. Okay. Now, secondly, and there's a, a, uh, there's a chapter in my book called Just Say Hello. Okay. Uh -huh. It's fine for a woman to... Say hi to to let a man know that hey I see you over there, yeah. right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting to know people. There's nothing wrong with saying hello. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Mm -hmm. At no point should a woman pursue a man. Mm -hmm. At no point should a woman propose to a man. Yeah. It, it it's backwards from the principle. The one that created marriage said he that finds a wife. So there's a reason that he made it. You're the one supposed to be being pursued because that is feels in the creation of the relationship that you that he understands your value. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. So what does that pursuit look like? He's coming toward you with intentions. He's coming toward you with intentions. He's talking about a future with you. Any man don't talk about a future with you don't see one. Okay, so that brings me to another place. All right, so now you're dating a man, and you've been dating for some time now. He never asked you to marry him, but as soon as you say, okay, well, you know, this is not what I want. This is not working out. 
then they come back and they now all of a sudden they know what they had, they miss what they had, and they want to get married. Mm-hmm. Is it is it wise to engage that relationship again? Because when you were in the relationship, marriage was never on the table, but now that you're gone, so is it is it wise to engage that relationship? Because could it be an offer just because you're gone? Could be. It could be. It could be. I don't really want you, but I definitely don't want to see you with anyone else. Okay. So I'm gonna tell you how to do that. You reset it, and you start back over as if you just met them, and you go. You leave a chapter in the book. Leave all sexuality out of the equation. Leave it all out of the equation. See how they respond. See how they operate. If they could go, it it takes nine months to figure out what somebody's pregnant with. nine months so literally if you watch how this person's operating and what they're doing and, and how they're inter- interfacing with you knowing that there's, there's no there's no business happening here uh-huh. right uh-huh. one of the reasons right now that men don't marry women quicker is because they got sexual relationship first oh, wow. that's simple as that that's wow. one of the reasons they don't marry quicker hold out y'all <laughs> simple as that wow okay Y'all hear that? Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's a chapter of the book where I, I talk about just leave sexuality out of the conversation. Right. Don't even talk about it. Right? Why? Because this is not the space or stage to even be discussing it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to leave it completely out of the conversation. And quit announcing your celibate. Right. Quit announcing that. That's good. <laughs> That's good. So right. now, you are, now you're gone. Right. Hunt, men are by nature hunter gatherers, yeah. right? So when you go celibate, he goes challenge. Yeah. Wow! And now you're gonna get the sweetest person. <laughs> tactics, Some tactics. Wow, that's good. He over there taking your mama to doctor's appointments. <laughs> Anybody that feels the need to always announce their celibacy is struggling with their celibacy. And when he hears you say, now I'm celibate now, he's like, she's almost there. <laughs> and the more you announce it, and she's like, almost there. Right? You don't need to do that. See, it, this is what it comes down to. My sexuality is committed to God until I have a spouse, mm-hmm. period. Simple as that, right? So this whole space of getting to know people, sexuality is not, it's not even, it's not a part of the equation. It ain't going to ever happen because my sexuality is in God's hands until God gives me a spouse and then hands it over to them. Okay. That's called the conviction. Let's go there. All right. Okay, we're gonna have some questions on here. Oh, well, here, here we go. Is sex important in a relationship? Okay, you just you just uh, talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you have women who women probably women and men, because I know I've heard you talk about it before. But you have people that feel like they need to test drive the car mm-hmm. before they buy the car, with the fear that if they get the car home. 
and now they bought the car, they're not going to be able to return the car. Talk about that. What is the what is the problem with that comparison of a you know sexual relationship prior to marriage? Well, and how do you deal with that? The, the number one problem is what you just said, the comparison, mm -hmm. right? Because if it, again, you got if you got a person that already started this pattern, mm -hmm. and now they're measuring the uh, the the uh, value of a relationship based off the sexuality, which is just one component of the relationship. Right. That tells you that they're not really free from this pattern that they have already they've already been keeping, right? You ain't doing it right. This is all you're supposed to have ever known, <laughs> right? You, right? Think about it. I mean, if you, if we enter relationship the way God said, this all supposed this supposed to be the only thing you've ever known. So you get what I'm saying? It's just for believers. It's it's not something believers should do. So what if it's so what if you have already done it? So how do you push reset once you get married because you already have these this past relationship? So how do you reset that? Just the same way we talked about that emotional recovery, mm -hmm. people need to go through sexual recovery. Mm -hmm. There needs to be renunciation for all these situationships. <laughs> there needs to be repentance from that pattern of doing relationship. Mm -hmm. He restored my soul. The soul has to be restored in order to bring the sexual appetites back under control. Yeah. Simple as that. And so there is a restorative process that and commitment of one's purity to God. Lord, God, I'm, I'm remaining by your strength uh, until you give me a spouse. So there has to be a recommitment of oneself to the Lord in that way. That's good. So let's talk about this. Now, when you enter into a sexual relationship, we know about soul ties. Many people don't know what soul ties. What are soul ties? Well, the Bible says when, when we have sexual intercourse with other people, essentially marriages are formed. Illegal, illegitimate spirit marriages are formed. Mm -hmm. So really, uh, from a scientific standpoint, and some of you may have heard this, when a man goes into a woman, his DNA stays with her for a certain period of time. It's there. So think about that. Everybody you've ever been with, still there for a certain period of time. There's a transfer Spiritually, that transpires. Pieces of you go into him, pieces of him goes into her. So there is, there is an intertwining wow. of these two souls that take place. Mm -hmm. And with that intertwining, people, I've seen where people have picked up psychological issues from yes. former partners. Yes. Wow. I've seen people that end up being oppressed because they were interactive with, with, with warlocks and interactive mm -hmm. with witches. And now the wow. spiritual realm of their life is going haywire. Mm -hmm because it was a real spiritual entanglement that happened. It was a real transfer that happened. See that? Wow. So soul ties really do ties, and they really do cause binding and bondages taking place as a result of that encounter. Wow. So we can see how relationships can interfere and hinder us from fully uh, receiving who we are, understanding who we are in Christ, and walking out our purpose. We're getting ready to go to intermission. We're going to take a break, and we will be right back with questions and answers from the audience and from Apostle. <laughs> 15 minutes. This is a 15-minute intermission. If you guys got in the restroom, take a drink.